Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Niels by Nielsen for Hitman 2016. The music for this Hitman game is a departure from what came before, more James Bond in nature than what we'd heard in the past. Niels is from Denmark, which is where Hitman is made, but he lives in L.A. We start off by talking about how he got to where he is in his musical career. When I talk to younger composers who are coming up, they always want to know how one get to a specific level or a specific point doing, you know, bigger gigs, being Mm -hmm. that TV shows or commercials or video games or films. And I can only answer by saying that I have made no conscious choice to be where I am today. It's really interesting because everybody will sort of have have guided me or told me what to do. And especially when you're younger, you just go, oh, okay, I'll do that. Why not? <laughs> and literally just gig after gig have been based on somebody telling me, man, your music seems to be suited for TV shows. So I'll say, yeah, sure, okay, give me a TV show. <laughs> uh, and some random person, be that in the frozen food aisles in bonds or <laughs> through a friend of a friend, will recommend me for something and I will just start doing that. So I my career has spanned everything from flash animations on websites to sports tv shows feature films and a massive amount of video games and all of it or rather none of it has been a conscious choice so i have not been sending out demos or pounding the pavement or said all the right things at all the right parties i've literally bypassed all that somehow Let's just talk a little bit about Hitman because I love the music and oh, thank you. I mean, it's so so good. And the the thing about Hitman is there are some loyal fans of previous music, and I I can imagine that may or may not have been intimidating. But I just want to say that what what you've done with it is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, yes, yes, intimidating. I think it's just short of getting death threats. I think. <laughs> Oh, but no. I, yeah, I have, uh, I've escaped unscathed, uh, thank God. But yeah, obviously, yes, Baku, he was uh, the first composer, and you know, I think he did the first four games in the franchise. So he's sort of established the sound and the tone of the game, and you can't fight or battle that in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So I think it was to my great advantage that uh, the music director of the previous Hitman game that I scored, his name is uh, Christian Ilvadam, which I guess would come out to something akin to Christian Elverdam, maybe. <laughs> he had a very specific idea of the tone uh, that he wanted, and it was it was most certainly a departure from any previous Hitman game that had been. So that 
I think helped me uh, tremendously because mm -hmm. I didn't have to try and emulate or copy anything that came before. Mm -hmm. As I'm sure anybody who's played the game will, will recognize immediately. Some of the buzzwords were uh, 007 and Mission Impossible uh, and such movie franchises where everything is exciting but never scary or dangerous. So what did that mean for you then when you started writing the music? I mean, what... What were some of the things that you initially tried when when you first started writing music in that way? Well, one was to try and give everything a sense of humor. So the score, I think to a greater extent than a lot of other video game music, is sprinkled with a ton of details, a ton of little just quirky fills and licks and string lines and all these things, which... You know, may or may not work. I think some of them might, if you play any given level for an extended period of time, will start to stick out. That's just the nature of it. So hopefully people will enjoy them sticking out as opposed to getting annoyed with it and turning them off. But it's such a fine line in, in video games where a movie is a you know a different creature altogether. People are going to watch this once and that is it. So you can, you can color anything the way uh, you wish, go nuts, because... Uh, Unless, of course, they watch the movie uh, multiple times, it's not gonna it's not gonna become grating. Where in video game world, uh, that is sadly something that is continuously a, a danger. very true and a lot of times when you hear composers talk about video game music and they appreciate the you know the diversity the interactivity the um, experimentation that's allowed I think in games more so than other media today uh, but but that's something that you know we, we I don't want to say take for granted, but because it's such a big deal and it it's not talked about that often. How do you kind of reconcile that possibility while you're writing to, to consider that people will hear it over and over and over again? Well, it's really difficult because ultimately I consider myself, well, a composer hired to compose music and what you find at least i find I, that might be true of, of many of my colleagues i really enjoy writing music <laughs> so uh, the more notes the merrier and each of the loops in hitman are a minute and a half uh, and then there are three variations off of that okay. so the first time around by the time i'm done writing this minute and a half uh, loop i put it away for a day <laughs> and then i listen to it again and I realize I've written way, way, way too much music because <laughs> looping this for 10 minutes is driving me crazy. <laughs> so you, you just start slowly eliminating things that you feel would be a nuisance uh, for, for the gamer uh, and the listener. 
It's a question of editing, I think. So do whatever your inclination, your natural inclination is, put it all down, and then start editing through it. And of course, this is not a one-man show, so far from it. So I have a brilliant, uh, work with a brilliant, uh, who's now actually the sound director of the upcoming game, uh, Jonas Breum Jensen, brilliant guy uh, at, at IO, who, by the way, is responsible for programming this incredibly intricate uh, music system that makes it all work behind the scenes. So he would listen to it. He would give me comments. He'd go, okay, uh, dude, I think you've sort of overdone this part a little bit. Maybe you should scale it back. <laughs> the director, Christian, uh, Christian Overden, would listen to it. And he would usually go, more, we need more. So there was this interesting <laughs> battle between people who were of a more minimalist approach and people who really just wanted everything cranked to 11, so to speak. Oh, and I was somewhere in between, I think. But again, it's it's such a democracy making video games as opposed to other businesses. That's more like a dictatorship, I think, mm-hmm. uh, where at least it is at, at IO. I, I guess I can't really speak for too many other game companies, but um, everybody had uh, their two cents and everybody would listen. So it's actually a cool way of doing it. stealth component to Hitman, right? So how did that affect, uh, you know, the layers you would write and and just your writing process in general because there is so much stealth in that game? Right, let me, let me tell you how the music actually works. So each piece of music is written in, well, essentially five layers of dynamics. Okay. What we originally tried to do was make what's called stems. Stems are mm-hmm. individual pieces of music that play, and you can add or subtract as you see fit. The problem with stems, though, is that whatever you start with remains. So if you have a subtle track and you add to it, well, that subtle track will still be present as you keep adding layers. Oh, sure. And what we wanted to do rather than do that was we chose to crossfade music. So what I essentially did was I wrote the same piece of music five times in different dynamic layers, going as far as, so if you have a string line that appears in one layer, and I want to keep that string line, well, in layer five, which is the highest intensity, I would play that string line with, well, these are all synthetically uh, generated sounds, of course, but as if the string player was playing louder, or I would start subdividing things, making it feel more intense. So the, the point was to create a piece of music that would be that would feel like a music score to a movie that would interact and swell or decrescendo at any given time, depending on what the player did in the game. Now, playing Hitman is a very individual thing. Some people are incredibly stealthy and will never ever hear anything above level two in my music, simply because they played very stealthily, they never upset anybody, the world (laughs) around them is not aware that they're even there, whereas other people enjoy the guns blazing sort of approach. So that was something else to also consider. But 
again, it's almost an impossibility because you can't cater to every single Hitman player out there. So I think sure. we chose sort of, yeah, a middle-of-the-road approach where we figured, well, they're probably going to be stealthy and they're probably also going to fuck up uh, every once in a while. Yes. <laughs> so we, we tried to strike a middle ground, but I think we're going to revise uh, our thinking uh, on future projects uh, because I think we we over or rather underestimated the average hitman gamer's abilities uh, i think still uh, a lot of the higher intensity levels will are just a waste they will never be heard so maybe we can do something more fun and interesting with those next time I am curious because Hitman, you know, IO has decided to release Hitman a little differently. And I'm curious if that at all impacts your compositional process. Uh, no. All right, there you go. Yeah, there is. <laughs> no, Moving not really. Uh, the game music was completed uh, before the final installation of season one was uh, was ever released, so we were way ahead of it. And one has to be. Again, this is something I know very little about, though I've gained a little bit of insight. There are all sorts of processes that comes prior to any game release where they have to be certified by various companies and they have to be quality checked and so on and so forth. So any given level needs to be completed far in advance of a release. Mm -hmm. So even though it was spread out, it really honestly didn't afford me any additional time because uh, okay. all these things had to be yeah, finished. Uh, yeah, what was the crunch like for you? How much time did you have to write? No crunch, actually. It was nice. incredibly, uh, yeah, wonderfully laid back. Uh, and the thing is, I've, even though I'm from Denmark, I've ever, I've never worked in Denmark. So I, I don't know how their schedule functions. So all I've experienced is American work ethics and, and, and schedules, which do not include a whole lot of vacation time. I can tell you, though, in Denmark, they, it's, a different, it's a different story to a point where it almost got a little frustrating, especially around June, July, and August, where nobody's picking up the phone anymore because they're all out, you know, seeing the world, enjoying the weather, and so on and so forth. So, But in a sense, that was good because that afforded me some additional time to just be myself and do my thing. And when they got back, you know, there was a bunch of stuff for them to listen to and, and judge and pick apart. of a neat experience to be the hitman composer from like the one of the best danish games ever oh it's brilliant oh my god <laughs> i'm enjoying it immensely i have to say though emily this is my first interview so there you go really it's virgin territory yeah i kidding not oh my gosh i'm finding that very hard to believe because this music is so good <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'd love to know a little bit about how you write. Do you find yourself a melody guy, a rhythm guy? Do you, uh, you know, how do, how do you come up with what you do? I, even though I'm not that old, I'm still sort of an old school, I think, uh, composer. My original 
inspiration and my original interest in music came from all the, the greats of centuries past, Holst and uh, Stravinsky and Debussy and Ravel. So I spent a lot of time analyzing scores. So I think of music in that way. I do, of course, use all my samplers and synths and all these things. Uh, and I do, I, I compose in Logic uh, on, a, on a Mac. Uh, but I find that I think in, in terms of, of classical composition more so than a linear thought process where you lay down random things and if something happens, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But uh, mm -hmm. I, if I could work with pen and paper and a piano, I might do that. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's no longer really a viable option. But that is my main <laughs> process. Sometimes it's melody, sometimes it's a rhythm, sometimes it can start so many ways. It can start at sure. a tempo. You know, maybe it's just the feel, maybe it's... Uh, but very specifically for Hitman, because Christian wanted these influences from existing uh, music, uh, especially uh, 007, uh, James Bond franchise, and Mission Impossible, that was definitely a place to start, figuring out what, what makes that kind of music, what sort of harmonies, what sort of orchestration uh, mm -hmm. and arrangements, uh, and then do my own thing. <laughs> you've written for television, film, uh, all kinds of like, commercials, games, and I mean, of course, Hitman, not your first game at all. You've worked on Ratchet and Clank and all kinds of different things, but I'm just kind of curious where you, if you love them all equally or, or if you find <laughs> that uh, you're, you prefer doing certain types of projects over others. You know what? I think I love them all equally at different times. Sure. <laughs> Commercials are fantastic. I mean, it's literally between 30 and, and 60 seconds worth of music. Uh, mm. You have very little time, but there's incredible diversity. One day you'll be writing salsa music. The next you'll be writing smoky jazz, followed by a piece of heavy metal music or dance music. There's just there's no telling. I enjoy that challenge immensely. And you learn so much because you have to dissect. Sometimes they'll ask you, well, we want this track, but we can't afford this track. So could you please do something Similar. In our business, we call that a knockoff. <laughs> but it's actually, it's it's a great source of educating oneself on different styles of music and different arrangement ideas and so on and so forth. So it's gratifying. It's super easy. You're in and out. That's it. No more. Wow. Movie is a longer process, but it's a picture that is always the same. So you can sit and you can really, if there's a six-minute chase scene, you can go through that scene and you can take little moments and you can bring them out and and just really polish anything. Video games, you have no idea what's going to happen at any given point because the player can do literally whatever they want. So it's a completely different thought process and approach because you cannot sit and think, okay, I want this to be very important when he does this or she does that because you don't know if that if she or he or she will do that at any given point. So it's more of an overall sort of ambience feel, which is, again, a fun process. Um, yeah. And TV shows are sort of like movies, I guess, just a longer schedule and you keep watching the same movie over and over. So it feels, at least when you reach season two, episode 21, you've seen that movie enough and you're about ready to kill yourself. So. <laughs> but no, they all have merits and uh, and it's all fun. And I am I feel really fortunate that I've been able to, to jump through all these many medias and uh, mediums and, and been able to 
so experiment with them all and and and, uh, and i would recommend that to any composer uh, starting out just get your hands on as many different things because you're going to learn something that you can apply somewhere else no matter what you do Where did you study? When did you decide that music was what you wanted to do? I've always written music, and I don't know why, but I always have. I used to really enjoy drawing, listening to classical music, and I think eventually I figured, well, instead of just listening, maybe I should try and create. And my parents have always been incredibly supportive. So all this, shouldn't you get a real job, son, never, never ever came up, even when I dropped out of college to play guitar. Twenty. <laughs> hours a day literally uh yeah i watched uh actually one a dear friend of mine and uh, mills uh, skullman he played me edward scissorhands and said listen to this yeah. oh my god that is brilliant i want to do that uh, and then later he showed me crossroads the ralph macchio classic that stars steve Vai as the devil's guitar player i saw that and figured oh my god i want to do that too <laughs> and that's actually how i ended up in america i went to git which is a guitar institute of technology in hollywood where I studied for a year. And during my time there, and again, this goes into what I talked about earlier about people just sort of steering me and I, I'm just going, okay, why not? <laughs> during this, my private teacher there said, you should, you should make music, movie and music. Uh, that's, that's what you should do, music for film. That's what you do. I made a little demo tape on a four track. I said, that's, that's what you should do. I was like, okay, why not? And also during my stay there, my uh, big guitar hero, Steve Vai's manager, was teaching a course. And I went there just to hear anecdotes from my hero's life and ended up giving her a tape that she in turn gave to Steve Vai, who invited Whoa. me up to his house and actually hired me later to orchestrate some of his music. Oh, so I think I'd better, learn, I'd better learn some of this orchestration stuff if I'm <laughs> going to do this. So I found some UCLA extension classes that were pretty inexpensive and they were at night uh, once a week with a fellow named Stephen Scott Smalley, who has orchestrated for so many massive Hollywood movies like mm -hmm. Batman and Judge Dredd and all these uh, Men in Black, all these big, big movies. Brilliant teacher. I learned so much. And it turns out he was a guitar head and we got talking and uh, I started swapping uh, private guitar lessons for private orchestration lessons and we became really good friends and he eventually hired me to orchestrate some of these big movies he was working on or to help out and, and supervise or rather he would supervise me and i would learn so he kind of took me under his wing and he said well you should try this and i said well yeah maybe i should and eventually i ended up doing this for steve and steve said well you should really do this and i go yeah maybe i should and uh, i got hooked up with this uh, internet company called icebox who did these uh, small animations uh, with flash which was a big deal back then yeah. and one of the writers was uh, a guy who also wrote for the simpsons matt selman and he said, you should do something else. And so I did. And so on and so on and so on and so forth. So my, I guess my, my education, besides from just doing things in life, has been mm -hmm. GIT and then this, these brilliant uh, lessons from Stephen Scott Smalley at 
at the UCLA. But other than that, I've just been forever pouring over scores, analyzing things, picking them apart. And I think that's a great way of going around it because as opposed to being taught anything specific, you sort of take the things you like and you, you listen and you you, you want to know what's going on. So you dive into that two bars that you're just enthralled with and you dissect it and, and you, you sort of reveal what's behind the curtain and figure out how things are, are constructed and how you can take those things and, and construct other things that the original intent or is different from the original intent that the composer, whoever that might be, has. You know, you mentioned some composers earlier, like Holst and Debussy and Ravel and Stravinsky, and, and you know, I'd love to hear what some of your favorite classical works are. Oh my God, my iPhone is filled to the brim. It literally, it's it's everybody from weird shit like Ligeti, which I, I appreciate, uh, to to more mainstream, like uh, Modest Mussorgsky is the, actually the Ravel orchestration of his pictures at uh, an exhibition, which is very simple music, really, and a yes. great example of what like a brilliant orchestra can do. Because oh. if you look at the original, very reduced piano score, I mean, there is there is not a lot to it. It's brilliant music, but mm. really there is not a lot to it. And he just did wonderful things. Again, a brilliant way to learn uh, and get insight into uh, what a, a brilliant orchestra can do. Anything Stravinsky, I mean, take your pick, Peruska, Rite of Spring, it's all just brilliant stuff. The Planets, of course, that's why I mentioned Holst, which has mm-hmm. obviously influenced so many film scores, and it's not even funny. But uh, John Williams, again, tip, you can actually buy all the scores uh, for John Williams' uh, movies on Hal Leonard, I believe. A bit pricey, but again, so well worth it, because it's such a just a brilliant look into the mind of uh, a giant like uh, John Williams. Danny Elfman. It just goes on and on, Emily. <laughs> so, so there it is. I won't go on and on. <laughs> well, it's funny because um, the producer for our show, Sam, who's an audio engineer and composer and artist, he, uh, he and I frequently have a debate about whether Holst, The Planets, was more influential or... Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring because they happened just two, three years apart and we just, we love just debating which one has influenced music more in in the film world and it's just, it's funny to think about we, we were, when we were in LA we heard 
uh, we were there for an event with the American Youth Symphony and they played the Firebird Suite in oh. addition to some other video game music and they also did the uh, Four Sea Interludes by Britain which I absolutely love that piece and um, but just hearing the Firebird in and, in and of itself w- w- juxtaposed with you know other video game music was you're like, wow, yeah, you you hear a lot of Stravinsky and a lot of music too, you know. I mean, but then when you think about the the melodic, lush, even even the orchestration of the planets, you know, even that in and of itself, just the way he used the horns or the percussion, you're like, okay, yeah, you hear that everywhere too, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's very very true. I think I would I would be on the whole side yeah. of things if I were to pick, simply because it is more accessible. It's right. more. No, Stravinsky, it's wonderful, but some of it does require a, a bit more of the listener, I think, that, that Holtz music does. Yeah. And I think that's that's definitely where movie music and music in general seems to be headed towards yeah. something that's a little simpler and a little easier to digest. Definitely. You can say that's good or bad. Uh, I, I don't know, but yeah. that's definitely where we're going. Uh, Hans Zimmer has, has definitely set a trend uh, for <laughs> a simpler musical expression. appreciate very much about video game music and alluded to earlier was just it feels like and I'm curious since you write in in so many different of these uh, mediums or media it just seems like you hear a little bit more adventure and uh, experimentation with video game music and I'm not sure if that's because generally composers get more time or if that's just because gamers are more receptive to whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. What What do you think about that? That's a good question. I think you're right, at least in certain genre of video games. Uh, you mentioned Ratchet and Clank, which I've done several of, though I must point out that the reason why I did all these Ratchet and Clank was the guy who was the main composer, his name is David Berchot, who was a dear, dear friend of mine. In this orchestration class I took, his wife was also a student and she heard some of the music and said, you should do video games. And I said, okay. And she introduced me to her uh, her husband, uh, then husband, David Bershaw, and we became fast friends. And at that point, he was working on the first Ratchet and Clank. Oh, wow. And he hired me to do a few things on there uh, just for fun. And we just really had a blast writing these things together. So when the next game came around, he hired me to do more stuff. So I did all the cinematics and eventually uh, we just pretty much did the games together, which was a, a blast. So I, I cannot talk about any of my previous uh, video games without mentioning David because he's the reason why I'm doing this. Today. So to answer your question, back then, you're absolutely right. Ratchet and Clank, honestly, the wackier it was, the better. It's the go nuts, guys. There is there is no prescription for what this music should be and look at the game i mean it's it's obvious it's it's complete madness it's furry animals and robots and things blowing up left and right and bizarre uh, intergalactical rulers zany characters everything is just really wacky mm-hmm. and i i don't know if that has changed because i've not done those sort of video games for a while so i don't know if the sheer amount of money these games are now generating have 
sort of instilled some of the same, I think, tactics that Hollywood is using. Simply, if we copy what came before, then there's a greater chance we will make a profit. So I, I can't I can't say if that has changed. I certainly hope not. But on Hitman, again, I was I was specifically asked to emulate not necessarily the music, but certainly the vibes of certain uh, certain pieces. But I think we still got away with doing some pretty sane things, to be honest. Like, for instance, this must be a first for any Hitman game. The training levels, the prologues, have a freestyle jazz drummer and some really bizarre orchestration, everything from vibes to distorted, crunchy uh, synth sounds. So, so yeah, I guess I did get away with a lot of craziness and why that is i i don't know i just hope they don't lose it i hope we don't find ourselves in a situation where our video games will be temp tracked and we just pretty much reduced to people ripping off what came before but why that is Emily, I, i honestly i honestly don't know Hitman, I literally moved there for a little while. They found a room for me. I bought computers and, and, and sound cards and so on and so forth, and I set up a little studio in there. And it was really like joining a family. It was pretty special, I have to say, and very, very different from anything I've ever I've ever tried in, in my career as a composer. I would have colleagues, you know, we'd go to lunch together and I'd sit down and I'd chat with a render programmer or an animator or, and of course all the other people on the sound team. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm going to miss that when that is no longer an option for me. And just, just now sitting at home doing commercials, go, hey, where's everybody? Is it lunchtime? <laughs> so I go, I, you know, I make my food and I eat it all alone and I, I go back to work. I think that of all things in terms of my Hitman experience is what I treasure the most. much it's i love what you've done with hitman and and again just really really excited to to keep hearing more from you thank you Thank you for listening to episode 61 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Niels by Nielsen at bylie.com. That's B-Y-E-L-Y-E dot com. Coming up in the next few weeks, you'll hear from T.K. Furukawa, who scored The Last Guardian, and Michael A. Levine, who wrote music for the new Resident Evil Biohazard. Visit patreon.com slash level if you're able to support the podcast. We make it cheap and Patreon makes it easy. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. 
Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc. You can learn more at june-media.com. Remember, June is J-O-O-N.